Thank you, men. Always good to hear the gospel in song. So it's wonderful. Thank you, Brother Robin. Doing a good job as usual with the reading. Sorry to have picked that chapter. <laughs> um, let's have a quick word of prayer before you get started. Father, we come before you mindful as ever that this is the time when we open your word and Lord, perhaps your spirit might say something. Help us to be, Lord, people with open ears, open hearts to receive from you tonight. Let's be with this dear folk tonight who are here. Bless them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God never randomly puts a chapter in the middle of a book for no reason. He doesn't put difficult words and names of people for us to navigate through without a reason. And so uh, this particular chapter um, attracted me a few months ago and um, I meditated on it and, you know, I was quite intrigued by it. And so these thoughts I'll share with you are from that contemplation of this chapter several months ago. Who are the Rechabites? They are not mentioned very much in the Bible. Um, they uh, probably just came into the scene and they disappeared, it would appear. Uh, they are not sort of talked about repeatedly. But we find, uh, and I won't turn to all these references, but you can do so if you want. But in 1 Chronicles 2 and verse 55, they are identified as uh, belonging to the Kenites, the group of Kenites. And they were friends of Israel. The Kenites accompanied Israel out of Egypt. And uh, Moses' father-in-law actually was a Kenite. Moses married a lady called Zipporah. And uh, her father was a Kenite. They were normally metal workers who, were, who lived as nomads. They had no fixed place of dwelling. They just moved from place to place. And... Um, and I guess the wilderness journey uh, would have kind of been fairly normal for them, where it wouldn't have been normal for people who are used to cities. They showed great kindness to Israel. And uh, this is recorded for us in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 6, when Samuel tells Saul, you go and destroy the Amalekites. And uh, Saul says, to this particular group of people, the Kenites, who were part of the Amalekites at that time. They have integrated into their society. He said, get out. I want you to get out before I kill these people. And then he says, because you showed kindness to Israel. And God was kind of taking care of them. He was prompting the king of Israel to take care of this group of Kenites. And then we find this name Jonadab, and I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 10 just to give you where this name pops up from. Um, who remembers Ahab? Good king, bad king? Bad king. Yeah, he's, uh, anyone remember the name of his wife? <laughs> 
Jezebel, okay. And because she married Jezebel, she brought in a whole lot of ugly things, uh, Baal worship, for example. And you remember the story of Elijah, how he, uh, he put those prophets of Baal to shame. And so we find that uh, Ahab had a very wicked rule and he, he just persecuted the men of God and um, he didn't want to listen to God and Jezebel just took him away on another, another path. And then it comes to um, the next king or the king to be a guy by the name of Jehu. Now for all of you lead-footed fans, you might want to be a friend of Jehu because he didn't have a motor vehicle, but he rode a chariot. And he rode the chariot, he whizzed through the town. He used to drive um, quite fast, his chariot. And so Jehu was given the task of getting rid of all Baal worshippers after Ahab, whom Ahab had invited in. And he had a mighty zeal for God and he wanted to really get rid of uh, these, um, these Baal worshippers. And so if you look in 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 15, here we find the name Jehonadab, the father who is referred to in chapter 35, crop up. And it says, and when he departed, this is Jehu, he lighted on, or he came uh, upon Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, here's the Rechabites, Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right as my heart with thy heart? So it tells me that Jehu was looking for a partner, someone who would stand with him in this job that God had given him to get rid of evil from amongst them, the Baal worship. And he says, is your heart like my heart? And uh, it's amazing that Jehonadab would come seeking Jehu and God would put in Jehu's heart the very thought that, hey, this, this man could be the man who is going to help you. And he asked that question. And Jehonadab answered, it is, my heart is towards you. He's, he hasn't even shared it, what the, uh, what the task is. He said, my heart is with you. I want to join with you. I want to get on this path that you want to take us on. If it be, give me thy hand. And so you can just imagine as Jehu's driving through that chariot, he's, he says to him, is your heart with me? Will you come up with me? Will you fight this battle with me? And he says, I am. And he says, give me your hand. And he pulls him up, and he, there they are, both riding on the chariot together. And, uh, and so we know from that, and then in verse 23, the story follows on. And Jehu went, and Jehonabad, the, the son of Rechab, into the house of Baal, and said unto the worshippers of Baal, Search and look that there be with you none of the servants of the Lord, but the worshippers of Baal only, because they wanted to destroy everyone who were Baal worshippers. And so the, he joined Jehu in that campaign to destroy idolatry from the uh, midst of Israel. And so Jehu was removed and a sense of godliness started to come back in. And Jehu didn't do one thing. He didn't destroy the golden altars which Jeroboam set up 
in Bethel and Dan. He got rid of everything else, but he left that. Now, why he left that, I have no idea. He could have gone all the way and got rid of that. So unfortunately, that worship tended to continue um, beyond, much against what was planned to have been done. Now, between that time, that in 1 Kings chapter, 2 Kings chapter 10, and uh, the time of Jeremiah when he's writing this, there's approximately about 200 to 250 years. That is the time gap. And uh, what is so interesting is that this man was so committed to the work of God, he, wa he had wanted nothing to do with idolatry, and uh, he set some rules in place. And uh, you, as you read that story, he, you see some of his rules. He said, we are not going to be wine drinkers. We are not going to touch alcohol. We are, now, mind you, he didn't say we are going to read the law 24-7. Uh, but he said we are going to put some real um, uh, uh, markers in our principles. And these are some of them. We are not going to plant seed. We are not going to build cities, but we are going to dwell in tents. We are going to be, and Brother Andrew mentioned that this morning, we are going to be pilgrims. We are going to be moving from place to place. We are going to influence people in the way of God. We are not going to get stuck in one place. We are not going to get a materialistic mindset. We just do what God brings before us, and we are going to help whoever we can on that journey. And so one of the uh, key things we learn from this story is that the Rechabites maintained or retained the principles of separation and holiness. They made some drastic decisions and that affected their sons, it affected their daughters, it affected their whole lineage that when, they, when this man took this commitment. Now, if today someone said that, you'd say he's daft, you know, because, you know, there are so many things we could be doing. So why, why would we get stuck in, in this way? But he set this very narrow uh, path that we must follow. And the Bible does say, does it not, that narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And so he, he got it right. He got it very narrow. He said, if you have to follow God, we've got to remove all temptation from us. We've got, we got to put markers down. And we've got to say, we're not going to go there. And uh, you'll see in this story what, what eventuates, how God used them as a mighty example to the wide nation of Israel. Used this unknown tribe, the Rechabites, I mean, you don't hear of them for 200 years, what they did or how they performed. But God kept record. And God, God brought up their name. And God said, look, look at this tribe of people. What an amazing, amazing commitment they have towards God. To protect against lust and idolatries of the world, they took these drastic steps in the way they were to live their lives. They wanted to only trust Jehovah God. They wanted to go where God went and God pointed them to. 
Keeping our covenant with God is of vital importance. The Bible says that we are bought with a price. You are not your own. So when you come to Jesus, his precious blood has cleansed you. He's given of his precious blood to buy you into his family, redeemed you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. And therefore there is a responsibility of how you would then live your life. And the Bible puts it this way that let us work out our salvation with what? With drunkenness and carousings. No, it says with fear and trembling. I wonder, church, how much trembling the modern day church does when you read the word of God. Does it stir you? Does it bring you to, wow, that's God telling me this and I fall well short. Do we fall at God's feet and ask for his mercy? Perhaps things we should consider. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17 says this, Come out from among them and be ye separate. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, uh, the, the Apostle Paul encourages the church to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh as we live as pilgrims and strangers in this land that we are passing through, as we heard this morning. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our eyes are heaven bound. And uh, how we live our lives is of vital importance because it influences people. You know, God said that uh, we, we are to uh, live to bring glory to his name. And over 200 years, these men faithfully passed this down from generation to generation. They retained the principles of separation and holiness. When you come to the Lord and you experience his wonderful salvation, the grace that floods into our souls at the point of salvation, we willingly put aside some things. A person who drunk may say, I'm not going to drink anymore. A person who used to, you know, and he in fact gave back four times what he'd taken from people. There comes a change in people's lives. But how deep does that commitment go? After one year, would you be found doing the same thing repeatedly? Would you be doing the things that pleases God? Or would other things have come in and sort of sidetracked you a little bit and you sort of lived this sort of on the fence Christianity, you know, uh, Sunday you give to God, but Monday to Friday life is uh, a little bit different. And God is challenging us tonight. How deep is your commitment? Will it stay the same? over a long period of time. In fact, did Jesus not ask that question? He said, when he returns, will he find faith on earth? Not in words, he knew it's going to happen. So how strong is your faith in God? How deep is that commitment? Do you love the Lord the same as you loved him when you gave your life to the Lord? Have you drifted from that commitment?
Oh, there's so much blessing in remaining close to the heart of God. Let the Lord just influence you and to do those things that he wants to do through you. You know, that's I'm learning more and more how much God would want to do through our lives only if we are, remain committed to him. King Solomon got it right when he prayed, he dedicated the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. And he said these words, verse 53 to 61, he said, God has separated us to be his inheritance, he said. He's given us his marvelous temple. He will hear us when we pray. And he said this, he has not failed one word of his promise. Aren't you glad about that? What God promises, he never fails. We might fail many promises that we give to people, but God never fails one promise. And aren't you glad he said he's coming back for us? He's preparing a place for us. He's going to take us back that where he is, we may be also. What amazing promises. Not one of his words have failed. So we can trust in that. And King Solomon started his reign. He said these words and he said, God, please do this one thing. He said, please incline our hearts towards you. Maybe not fall away from you, but constantly the inclination is towards you. When we are in difficulty, let us incline ourselves to you. Let us not fall away from you. To walk in your ways. To keep your commandments. These are specific words that Solomon prayed for. To walk in his ways and to keep his commandments. Secondly, they not only retained the principles for separation and holiness, but secondly, they remained true to these principles. They remain true to their principles. The Babylonian onslaught that we read in the middle of that chapter forced them from the land back into the city. Now they were not city dwellers, they were not city slickers at all. They felt very uncomfortable in the city. But because of the massive attacks that were taking place out in the field, they were forced to come back into the city and they would have been really, really uncomfortable. It was, it was like a fish out of water for them. They, they're not used to it. But they just said, look, for this time, this uh, moment of time, perhaps we just got to get into the city, just, just, you know, remain here till the Lord leads us out again. And it's, isn't it interesting that when you're in an unfamiliar place, temptation knocks on the door. And here they are in a city. They're hearing the city talk. Um, you know, and uh, all the evil that goes around with that, all the disobedience, and you see from the story you read that the children of Israel were living in rampant disobedience to God's word. And so there could have been all kinds of stuff going on that they would have heard. And uh, God tells Jeremiah to do an incredible thing. In verse 2, he says this, go and speak to these Rechabites. 
and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, so that we can have a great prayer meeting. That's not what verse 2 says. It says, and give them what? Wine to drink. Now, what have they sown not to do? What was their principle? We are not going to touch wine. And guess what the temptation was? In the Lord's house, Jeremiah the great prophet is calling us, come, drink wine. And uh, it's amazing that uh, <laughs> that invitation would go, go out. And, uh, and then uh, they get rounded up, all the Rechabites. There are some names there which I will not do because Brother Robin did a very good job of mentioning them. So I'll just uh, uh, rely on that. And they all come into uh, the house of God. Verse 4, I brought them into the house of the Lord into the chambers. Um, and verse 5, I set before them the sons of the house of the Rechabites, pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, drink ye wine. Can you picture this scene? So in a nice chamber where normally, you know, proper things would happen in the temple, there are all these basins of wine, and cups provided, little cups, you know, so you dip it in uh, and drink the wine. And verse 6, they succumbed, it says, to the temptation. No, that's not what verse 6 says. Verse 6 says, is, but they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Immediately they locked arms together and said, No, we are not going to do this. Because before God, we set that commitment. Before our Father, we set that commitment. We are not going to touch any wine. And, uh, you know, at this point, you might, uh, you might think, well, Jeremiah, the man of God, is asking us to come in and drink wine. Must be all right. Maybe God spoke to him in the night. No. Their commitment was deep. Their commitment was between them and Jehovah God. And they said, no, sir. No, no. We're not going to do this. Because we'll be displacing God. We'll be bringing dishonor to God. God has blessed us and blessed us and blessed us in our journey. How can we do this? And they just said to Jeremiah, they just recited what they knew. They just said, this is the commitment we had. Um, and then they tell the story how when verse 11, Nebuchadnezzar uh, attacked them, they came into the city. And that's why they found themselves in the city. And so they just told Jeremiah, we are not, we, they took a stand. And they said, we are not going to do this. We will not be mastered by anything. You remember in the story of Daniel, 
Daniel purposed in his heart, chapter 1, not to partake of the things from the king's table. He drew the line early. And he said, I'm not going to cross that line. And all his life, he never crossed that line. And, uh, you know, all for people of God who would have that deep commitment to say, I'm not going to cross that line. Even though voices must, might be saying to me, it's all right, do it for a season. But they said, we are not going to do it. God was going to prove uh, that they would live by their principles. And, uh, and then the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah in verse 12. And he says, go to the inhabitants, verse 13, of Israel and tell them this. Verse 14, the words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed unto this day. They drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising up early and speaking, but you hearken not unto me. What is amazing in verse 14 is who is giving evidence of the faithfulness of the Rechabites? God himself is giving that evidence. No human voice is saying it. But God said, you know what? Those guys who made that commitment, I'm telling you to this day, they haven't done that. 200 years. Do we find it? 200 years. And God gives testimony in his word that they haven't done it. That they've listened to their father. They listened to that advice. And they've kept their lives the way it should be in honor to God. He said, but I have been speaking to you, Judah, Israel. I've been speaking to you. I've been sending men of God to you. You know, the heavenly father is speaking to you, but you won't listen. These men have listened to an earthly father and have kept their commitment. And they have walked the path that God has chosen for them to walk. But here I am, the heavenly father speaking to you. With a broken heart, I'm speaking to you. I've sent my prophets. I've sent my messengers. They rise up early. They, they don't slack off and sleep. They're rising up early. They're preaching the word of God. They're telling you the work, way of God. But you would not listen. Your hard-heartedness would not listen. And uh, the judgment that God would bring upon them. You see, God is so merciful. He would delay and delay and delay. He would send multiple prophets and preach and preach and preach. But they wouldn't turn. God was going to use the Rechabites as a mirror and an example to the people of, to the nation of Israel. He said, look at these people. If they can do it, why don't you listen to the word that I speak? We are told in the word of God, and Jesus himself said, Luke 19, 13, he said, occupy. Do business till I come. Do, keep doing the work of God. Don't, don't get weary in well-doing. 
Be the salt and light, Jesus said. Be influencers in this world. You know, go out into that dark world and retain your principles that you have set before God. The faith that is built up in you. Add to that faith virtue and diligence and goodness and all the fruit of the Spirit. Add to it so that people will look at your life and say there is something unique and special about this. I want that kind of a life. I want that kind of a person. God also said to us that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And evangelism is another task that God has given us. Oh, we as pilgrims, as we move through this world, are we the salt and the light? Are we occupying till he comes? Are we doing the things that God has called us to do? Are we evangelizing for God's glory? In the story of Ruth, when uh, the two husbands died and uh, the two sons of Naomi died and Ruth was left as a widow, Naomi said unto Ruth, go back. She was a Moabitess, so she, she said, go back to your people. I, I can't help you anymore. And, uh, and Ruth said, uh, and the verse 14 of Ruth chapter 1, it says, and Ruth clave unto Naomi. Why do you think Ruth clave unto Naomi? Because she saw a godliness in Naomi that she had never seen anywhere else. And she said these words, thy God shall be my God. Thy people shall be my people. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. I want to be influenced by this godly influence because I know it'll be good for me and it'll guide me and lead me in the right path. Our, life, our, our, our lives changing people the way the Rechabites changed the people around them. And lastly, God rewarded the Rechabites with an amazing statement. After he had pronounced judgment on the children of Israel and he said, you know, I've spoken repeatedly to you and you won't listen. Verse 19 of chapter 35 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. What he says is, you know, because you've been that faithful, you will always be honored in doing the service of God. You will always stand before me and serve me because of your faithfulness. God rewarded them with a long uh, time of blessing that the Rechabites will continue to influence, will stand before God, to be a voice for God, to be an example for God, to be a mirror for God. And God made that promise. Now, after chapter 35, we don't hear about the Rechabites anymore. Did some of these Rechabites end up being very influential people? I believe God's word never lies. I think the names are not known. But I'm sure they have, there have been many Rechabites who influenced many, many folk through the ages. From that time on till even now, perhaps these Rechabites... Whoever they are, the unknown people, 
are influencing people all over the world. You know, I, I, I believe more and more it's not, you, you know, positions or, you, you know, names that God looks at, God looks at the heart. And if anyone is obedient to God's word and is willing to do God's will, God will use you in an amazing way. There are many saints whose names you don't even know, who are faithfully serving God, who don't even come up on a blip on a radar, a human radar that is, but certainly appears along a large blip on God's radar. But God's heart, God's eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the world, seeking to set his eyes on whose heart is turned towards him. God's radar is always working. And these Rechabites, God said, will never lack a man who would stand before to serve God in that holy ministry and in the holy service of carrying the honor of God all the days of their lives. What great reward. Someone said this. It said, temptation bangs on our door repeatedly, but opportunity knocks once. And would you, know, would you be willing to open the door when that opportunity knocks and say, Lord, I'm hearing your voice. I want to open the door and I want to do what you want me to do. Temptation will bang loud and say, come and do this, come and do this, drink wine. But when opportunity comes, will you take it? Will we resist the potential for compromise? You know, those who resist the devil will find the strength of God. And you'll often find that strength will help you to meet the next challenge. You know, they, they, you go from strength to strength. That's what the Bible says. Joseph spent 13 years in isolation without compromise. And God strengthened him and used him to save the world. Would you and I be men and women of no compromise? Standing firmly on the principles that God's taught us. Standing firmly on the grace that we stand upon. And we refuse to join with the world. And we say, I want to be a faithful servant for my master. And when you faithfully serve God, he will lift your place lift you up to a place of honor like he did Joseph. Joseph became the most valuable commodity in the kingdom of Pharaoh where he was able to stave off starvation for millions of people. The spiritual starvation that ravages the world today is enormous. Would you and I stand up, be faithful to God, to fulfill the spiritual hunger that is in the world today? The Bible says he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think. God takes a simple life like yours and mine, fills it with his Holy Spirit, and unleashes it on the world to do amazing things for God. Are we missing out on the opportunities that God putting within us? 
God says that he's a, the Bible says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. God's rewards are enormous. God's rewards are immeasurable compared to the rewards of this, of this world. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. You have fear of God for his commandments. Do you want wisdom in your life? Fear God. Wisdom will come in. Do you love God the way that God wants you to love him? A love for God will result in obedience. And great peace will follow those who keep his commandments. In, uh, in John chapter 14 and verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you know, if you love me and keep my commandments, then my Father will love you in return, a reciprocal love. What ties it together is the love for God and keeping his commandments. And then he, then he makes this astounding statement. He said, and he will come and make his abode in you. In other words, God will invade your life. And he will come and live in your life because you are a person who obeys the commandments of God. And you will walk after the principles that God has taught you. Has your life been invaded by the presence of God? That's the reward that God gives you when you are obedient to God. An overwhelming presence of his spirit in your life. You're lacking peace. Great peace have they, the Bible says, who love the commandments of God and keep them. Perhaps examine our lives tonight and say, Lord, I need to start obeying you more. And then I will have peace. I, hear, I will have love. I will have your presence, all these wonderful rewards that God wants to give you. I will have honor that you have promised. And will we be willing to do that? You know, the father is still crying with a broken heart. He says, turn from your evil ways. Come back to me. Trust me. Do what I tell you. The Rechabites listened to an earthly father whose name was Jonadab. 200 years, they were faithful. And God used them as a mirror and an example. The heavenly father has been speaking to us ever since we've been born. How much have you obeyed him? How much have we taken his words to heart? And how much are we willing to commit a deep commitment to God? The return of Jesus is not far away. And when he comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find a deeply committed Good Shepherd Baptist Church in Albany Creek? Pulsating with the presence of God. Every individual just 
feeling God's presence and going out and being the salt and light that God has called you to be. May God help us to be that kind of people. Let me just pray and then Caleb will come and lead us in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, you speak to us so much through a simple family, the Rechabites, who are so faithful to you and did everything that you asked them to do. Lord, I pray you give these dear folk an opportunity to just think about these things tonight and Lord, just make some corrections that are required in our lives. All of us need correction, Lord, myself included. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways and to do what is right in your sight and to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you.